from the visionary minds of the guys who brought you the hit series, Reboot, comes movies we were way too young to see. A podcast series that is exactly what it sounds like. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Movies We Were Way Too Young to See. A look at some of the most influential films we grew up watching, regardless of parental approval. I am your co-host, Mowgli, and sitting next to me, as always, the man, the myth, the Malv. Welcome back, everybody. How you doing, Mowgli? I'm doing good, Malv. How was your weekend? Eh, it wasn't Ooh, bad. you like the saxophone? <laughs> I love Sexy. it. Sexy. <laughs> Sensual. <laughs> Beautiful. I don't know if the listeners know this, but I used to be an alto saxophone player myself. I played in all of middle school. I did marching band, concert band, jazz band. So, you know, I do quinceaneras. <laughs> you know, times are tough. I need money. <laughs> all right, jokes aside, jokes aside. Let's get into the movie we were way too young to see for the week, shall we? Let's do it. One that, in all honesty, gave me the best advice on what not to do on a first date. Shout out to Tom DeLong right there. All right. First date, Blink-182. In the car, I just can't wait <laughs> to take you out on a porno first date. <laughs> We're talking about the 1976 Martin Scorsese masterpiece, Taxi Driver. You talking to me? You talking to me? Do not adjust your levels. We couldn't say anything. What, what can you say that hasn't been said? beautiful, beautiful theme. My God, it gets you right there. We started it just like the film started it to get you in. A, for me, it's always like a dream. It's like a vibe. descent into madness yeah. almost. You want to get to the log line? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, the log line. A mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute. Whoa, this is heavy. Pretty heavy, dude. Mm-hmm. So... Directed by Martin Scorsese. God. (laughs) Written by also another talented gentleman named Paul Schrader. Another screenwriting god. This film was released on the 9th of February of 1976, so we're a little bit late on the anniversary. Nah, it's a beautiful movie anyway, so we were going to get to it sooner or later. Sooner or later for sure. And let's go ahead and talk about the cast. First off, Robert De Niro. Top-notch acting. Yeah, he was really creepy, really psycho, but at some times you could see his compassionate side and... It was more of just kind of, I'm going to say naive, almost childlike naive qualities. At the beginning of the movies, for sure. For sure, for sure, yes. Sybil Shepard plays the beautiful, very beautiful Betsy. Did we get her last name in the movie? No, I don't think so. Okay. Harvey Keitel, the sleazeball, Matthew Sport, the pimp. You know it's hard out here for a pimp. Highlight. <laughs> Solid cast. Jodie Foster, oh what was God. she, 12 years old when she did this? Yeah. And the amount of talent that this 12-year-old has is just... This is what they were meant to do, and yeah. they're still doing it now. So, Shout out, yeah. Also, Albert Brooks, he's in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's not movies we were way too young to see until we reveal the age we were when we saw this. So, right. Malv, go ahead and tell us. All right, so this, like I told you guys, this was one of those element, um, more like middle school, 11 through 13 years old. That's the kind of age range I was going in. But this is for sure my second Martin Scorsese film. But, again, this is another shout-out to the North Branch, like, this was a library movie for me. We didn't have this at my house. We didn't, you know, nobody I knew owned this movie, but like I saw it there. I saw the cover and I was like, yo, this one looks badass. That movie poster. I didn't even yeah. know that was Robert De Niro. He looks menacing in yes. that with the mohawk Super and everything. Menacing. Yeah. 
the mohawk stands out so much more in the 70s too it feels kind of common now I guess like the same way probably tattoos did or like sleeve mm, yeah, tattoos. Yeah, it's too normal so, so, now. So um, that mohawk, especially when he's about to try and assassinate presidential candidate, like you just like added to the craziness of him. It's yeah, pretty added sick. to the character, you know. And I forgot to mention hashtag library boys. <laughs> yes, I was about fifteen or sixteen. I can't remember the exact age, but it was around there. I had just gotten a bunch of money for Christmas, and I went Christmas shopping at Target. So I saw this there. I saw the collector's yeah. edition on DVD. It was two discs, and it came with a little nice sleeve. I was like, whoa. That's what I got. Yeah. Uh, taxi Driver. I always heard about this movie. It was cool, cool. And I I was going to rent it at the library, but it was always out. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy it. And I didn't regret it. Right. What a movie for us to watch at around that tender age. Shout out to Target. <laughs> <laughs> if you use the code Mowgli10 when you check out on Target, you'll be helping us out. No, you <laughs> Oh, what do you want to talk about this? This movie was fucking crazy. I, I, there's too I, much I, to talk about. Okay, okay. I, I want that's why I was like, where should we go? Should we start with the music? Should we start with the cinematography? The acting? Everything is top notch. All in that this. shit. The opening scene. Bernard Herman. Oh. For those of you who don't know, Bernard Herman did score it for all this. He also worked a bunch with Alfred Hitchcock. So if you remember that famous psycho theme, Bernard Herman is the dude responsible for that. So Immediately, mm. that saxophone, it's just kind of like a romantic kind of love story. And then when it's compared to what you're seeing, like this like furnace full of steam, yeah. this like very grimy taxi. Trash everywhere Trash on the streets. everywhere. People I wonder, looking disheveled, you know, like walking the streets. It brings everything. It's just so filthy. New York at that time was so cool, but so filthy. Yeah. And I wonder how much of that was actually them like doing production design and how much oh, was no. that real it was a hundred percent real <laughs> i kind of like, I, i'm leaning towards I, that i did i did i did some researcher work on imdb but it said that there was like a new york uh, garbage man strike at the time oh man yeah so there was legit garbage there and martin scorsese was like yeah we're gonna leave that there it works you know like it it brings up the city it looks like a shit hellhole you know another thing though that cinematography that we had mentioned wow some amazing pieces a gentleman named michael chapman Fortunately, he just passed away last year, so uh, we just wanted to shout him out real quick because people are still studying this film today for the colors, just how he captures... The night, especially for me, the nightlife. You guys have to appreciate the nightlife in here, like, because that's where the most amazing stuff can come, but, like, you feel it, like... I don't know about you guys, but here in downtown L.A. sometimes after, like, a club or, you know, getting drunk and going somewhere, you feel that And grind. the hot dog nachos. Yeah, or you, the know, hot dog, but the you, hot dog yeah, you know that feeling. You feel it like you feel at home, but at the same time, you know you probably shouldn't even be here at this time. And that's how I feel that the cinematography Chapman brought it. Like, there is a beauty sometimes when you're outside looking at shit, you know, cause, and, but that's part, part of the, the character. You know, we're getting into the character's mindset. You know, that's what he's going through. And, like, just how he sees the world, he sees it a little bit hyper-realistic, you know, because a lot of the neon pops out. You probably wouldn't really see in real life, but, like, since we're going into this dreamlike state or this madman's mind, that it has this, like, dreamlike look. Mm-hmm. So then we meet Travis Bickle, played by Robert De Niro. He is a honorably discharged Marine. He can't sleep, so he takes a job as a taxi driver. And, INDB Trivia... Robert De Niro actually did that, dude. So he stays committed to his roles. Uh, method. I'm an actor. For real method. And uh, there's one scene or one one line that he says. It's like, uh, how's your driving record? Real clean. Like my conscience. Wise ass. Yeah. And that always is like, you break my balls. Don't break my balls. Is his conscience really clear, though? Like, I, I, is, is Bickle's conscience? What do you think of it? 
I think for himself, because he's insane, it, it, it always is clear to him, right? I think he has decent moral values. He just doesn't know how to go about it in a way he wants to do good. Yeah. He knows that Iris and those pimps and the drugs and all that stuff is bad, and he wants to get rid of it. Like you said, though, he doesn't know how to, you yeah. know, like his way to approach, his way to solve it. That's the naive, the, childlike naive. But that ends more of the insanity as well, too. You know, it's like you don't go out to be like, I want to save this girl from her pimp. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go shoot the pimp, you know, or I'm going to shoot the world. It's like, no, that's the insanity of it. But, yes, there, those things need to be cleaned up. It's just the way you want to. This is an untrustworthy person, but you start kind of feeling for him, you know, so it does get weird. Yeah, he's like, um, another one, he's like, I gotta clean the cum off the back seat, sometimes blood, after every shift. Nah, that, that doesn't sound fun. It's like, that probably adds to what he's doing. Like, who wants that job? I don't want to do that. Well, he came to get it, you know? Like, that's what he wanted, because he feels lonely and he hates the world, so I think that's part of it as well. I think he fuels more of his hate, like, by keeping this job, and by, you say, the way he approaches these things or says some, or says some of these comments... And then eventually Travis is going to meet the very stunning, wickedly talented Sybil Shepherd, who plays Betsy. And when you see her too, there's that Martin Scorsese cameo, the first I one. I hate that one. Yeah. Why do you hate it? I, I hate it. that because the second he makes a second cameo that's obviously William. I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. So we'll talk about that later. But this first cameo, he's just in the background doing his Alfred Hitchcock thing. But he, tr- I feel like he tries to look so cool. You know, like he, he is, young, man. But I, I hate that because his second cameo is so good, and that's why I think it fucks it up. It's like. Is this the same character chilling there, or is it a different character? I always hated that I, that one when he showed it, but I liked how they represented her being more dreamlike and you know, angelic with angelic. all the white. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Albert Brooks forever in the friend zone. Yeah, oh my is, goodness, this is I didn't your notice main that piece right here. You love <laughs> this, this one. <laughs> this dude, I'm just always making fun. He was a funny character, yeah. but body language wise. It seems that Betsy and what's his name? Albert Brooks? We're just going to call him Albert Brooks? Let's call him Albert Brooks because that's honestly all I could see. You, you know? can tell that he likes her. There's an attraction that he has for her. I don't think she's reciprocating it. No, she doesn't like him at all. He's a, 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 be- a beta male, you know, and I think that, that's what I love about Scorsese showing this. He's showing you two types of male. Not that Travis is the alpha male, but like how there are He's different more omega? Males. I, I, I don't know what I, those mean. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know there's alpha, beta, omega. You know, just, if you want to email us, malvinmogley at gmail.com, we'd love to hear a great uh, analysis right? from and our wonderful know. listeners. But uh, where was I on that? Uh, alpha, beta, yeah. Like um, you, like you brought it up, uh, I don't think it was called that then, but the friend zone. Like she obviously puts him in the friend zone, but he's obviously crushing on her. But she yeah, doesn't that's want so it. Sad, though. Yeah, you know, and he's the more successful one. He has a job. She's working with him. He's doing something. But I think that's what Martin Scorsese does is like show you Travis a little bit because he's weird as fuck, right? But he then decides to take action, which this other male that society says is better for you doesn't. You know, so I kind of feel like Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese talking about that toxic masculinity, you know, within itself. And uh, everybody like has certain prejudice, like. She shouldn't be going out with Travis. She even, like, is hesitant at first, you know, but he still presses on. It's that eye contact. You can see it when, the, way it's, the way it's shot and directed. They're very much staring at each other's eyes, and I don't really see that much blinking. So it's like if you can maintain mm. that kind of eye contact with someone. It can go two ways, right? It can go like, well, yo, they, this is a creepy they, motherfucker. Well, they're both, <laughs> they're both not backing down, so there's a connection yeah. there. And Travis was not afraid to make that connection, so 
I think Betsy appreciated that for as bizarre as he is, she still appreciated that. And he took that, and she took that, she took that chance. When Travis goes to like his coffee shops, like in the middle of his lunchtime, or I guess his break, technically it is his lunchtime, but it's like probably like 3 a.m. I know that life. Um, <laughs> and one of the dudes, I think his name is the wizard and he's like the wise veteran taxi driver. And there's something he's like, yeah, I never use my pistol. I'm a conservative, you know? Fuck. Oh, how the times have changed. All right, we mentioned this. Martin Scorsese's second cameo. Let's talk about it, right? We saw his first one. Let's do his second one. This is a very important scene right here. Martin Scorsese is a passenger in Travis's taxi, right? Mm-hmm. So then what happens? He starts to tell him a story about how his, his wife, wife is cheating on him. and you He's going to kill her with a pistol. And you 44. Know, and you know where she is? And he points, like, look outside your window. Look to the far right. Do you see a woman? Do you still, do you see a woman in the window? And he's like, yes, like, that's her. Did you ever see what a 44 Magnum pistol would do to a woman's face? I mean, it would fucking destroy it. Yeah, that scene. It's haunting. That know? scene is, is important for two different levels. It shows Travis that you can take matters into your own hands. That's kind of the inception point right there. So mm-hmm. it's like, look, this passenger's doing this. I can do the same thing too. He also relates to it too because they're both Women. after a woman. Yeah. So unfaithful woman. You know, it's that whole Madonna versus uh, the Virgin Mary kind of shit. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. So like Madonna's we've well, been talking about Madonna for a little bit, huh? <laughs> Dick Tracy now this one. Yeah, dude. Something would have definitely pushed him off, you know, because he's so mentally unstable. But at least this time he's always been talking the talk, but he finally seen somebody who's going to fucking walk. That's it. where he started walking. And he's like, it, dude. Oh shit, like, okay, like stop talking all this shit. I could easily do this, right? right. Like so I want to talk about this now. So he's talking about it, and then he actually buys the guns. And then this I gentleman, love I love that scene too. That's one of my favorite too. scenes. <laughs> right? I want to steal this. Easy. Uh, and fucking great, I dude. love the way he starts up, like, when he comes up he to him in a taxi. a Nordstrom salesman, right? Like yes. a suit salesman. But he's he like a tailor. Of, that and Ringo's uh, star together, melded together. That's what he reminded me of. The hair, the hair. Yes, <laughs> and the nose. But, like, right when he swoops up to him, he pulls up in a taxi. He's like, yo, Hello, like essentially saying, yeah, hello, how are you? But like, come into my office, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah. when he sets it up, this is, this is why I love Martin Scorsese and then like why people think I'm fucking weird because like when he's bringing all the guns, the arm dealing, like he throws all his guns. But Martin Scorsese, the way he moves the camera, like he makes those guns look enticing and sexy. Like even though you're like, no, this is wrong. This guy shouldn't buy it because he's just going to blast all these people. But like that's what I love about the character and the directing. Like it's just that feeling like what we talked about with Clockwork Orange a couple of weeks back. You know, it, it makes you unsettling because it is real. You know, like in like a fantasy, I'm like, damn, that looks. Imagine if I had this option. You're like, fuck, this is crazy. And pick any. Gu-. You know, it's like. But like, no, you don't deal with problems that way. <laughs> you know, like you just. But like, that's one of my favorite teens ever. I love that one. The final, final jumping off point is when he is at the bodega mini market and it's getting held up. And then Travis, he has his gun with him. So he shoots the burglar and then he's like, oh, man, I don't got a permit for this. And the the owner's like, just it's all right, man. I'll take care of it. And then he just starts beating the fucking dude. Well, this is showing I love. Well, I love this scene for the like honesty and reality of it. Just the scum it is. Yeah, like that's what I feel in the world. You know, you feel that feels like I know this. Like I see this in the news, all this shit. But. The thing in the character for Travis Bickle, this is the first time he really acts. Robert De Niro's acting is so fucking good because there's a little second of doubt. He's like, oh, shit, I did it. And like, I'm going to get in fucking trouble, you know? But then that's when he gets reassurance from the outside world, from the bodega owner. He's like, yeah. yo, this shit happened. This is the fifth time it's happening. Fuck this shit. He's just, you know, he's like telling him, thank you. You know, like, fuck, man, maybe these people will learn not to do this shit, you know? And he takes his anger out on the dead body and he's essentially like, hey, I, I agree with you, Travis. Go on, you know. So that makes Travis 
feels like it's a right yeah. or like his purpose or and something. And then that's the amp up to the beautiful ending. Like just, you know, everything. Yeah. And that, that's, that's like what drew me in was the violence. The I didn't ending. understand that. Oh like, my God. Voice over letter to his parents. He's like, did he actually send that? Do you think well, he that's did? A, let's talk it to the end end. Like, okay, okay, Cause okay. that's for sure the end of this sequence, but let's catch up the audience. So this is the third Jody act Foster, of the end. Yeah. Jodie Foster is refusing to be rescued by Travis. So Travis is going to take matters into his own hands. Side quest real quick. Do you think Travis would have rescued Iris if his assassination attempt went successfully? No, because he even said to himself that I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm probably going to be dead. I'm I'll be dead be right dead, now. Yeah. If he escaped and assassinated Palantine, do you think he still would have rescued her? I think so. Cause he would have been on that superhero charge. Like, he would have been I'm on invincible. a super high, huh? Yeah. You know, I'm invincible and like, I'm, what I'm doing is right. You know, confirms your own belief, your bias, like on that crazy shit. But shout out to our fans that, you know, not our, our casual moviegoers. If you guys seen the Joker and you like the Joker and you like Joaquin Phoenix's transformation, essentially that is this movie. Taxi Driver mixed with another beautiful Martin Scorsese film, The Comedian. So if you guys like The Joker and you want to see that actually done in the 70s when, you know, the time it took place, definitely check this movie out. Like, it's top notch. But let's go. Sorry, side quest over so, with that, but the ending. Okay, you know? so Travis Bickle goes up to sport Harvey Keitel's character, and he's just like, hey, what's up, man? Do you remember me? He's like, no, I don't remember you. He's like, remember this? Bam! He shoots him in the stomach, dude. And, like, oh! and he goes up to the hotel room where, where Iris is. Then he shoots the fingers off of the, what is he, like the hotel owner? Like, like the concierge of like... The concierge, right? Of like the sex level. God, what a <laughs> disgusting scumbag. I didn't feel sorry for him at all. Oh my God, he but this finger. beautiful scene, like... I want to kill him! Yeah. Ah, he killed me! I'm going to fucking kill you, you fucker! You fucker! I loved it. I, I loved, loved it. it. And you just see it, like, you see all his fingers get blown off. It was a freaking close-up of I, the guy's face and his hand. And, and then... You have the slow-mo turnover of Jodie Foster. She's like, oh, yeah. when you see her in the room, and she's like, oh, my God, what is that? So she's fucking traumatized as hell. And then the dude she's with, he comes yeah, out. He gets John, whacked. Yeah, but he shoots Travis, you know, and Travis gets wounded. Yeah. But then Travis gets and just snaps on him. Damn, dude. And Sport comes back, but then. He's no match. Yeah. Travis goes in there. There's one thing that I want to bring up right here. On doing my research, I'm mm. going, this is according to Screen Rant, okay? Travis actually is dead. He saved Iris, but he's dead. And they're saying this, quote, Travis dies from his wounds in Taxi Driver. He suggests that Betsy will die in a hell like the rest of them, but he was the actually one who died in a hell like the rest of them. Also, it's being portrayed that Iris was kind of like the holy figure in that scene, mm-hmm. like the way it was shot, the cinematography, because after all that stuff, it's kind of like, it, to me, it felt like God looking at what happened, like a, like a bird's eye point of view of like of the crime scene, looking at these humans and like their like primal emotions and how they can't control them. And it was really cool with the music. And also they were super silent. Like they were like not moving at all. So when I was watching that and it's slowly kind of pulling back to the rest of the hotel from that top bird's eye view. That's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, Mannequin Challenge. knows that crane, bro. Chapman, like, too, dude. That yeah. crane, like, you know it. He's like, yo, I'm good on this. Let's do this. But on the ending, too, that was always mine because what I read of my research says that Martin Scorsese says that that whole ending is true. After he gets injured, Travis, he doesn't die. He gets out of the hospital, and he's treated as a hero. And But for me, it's always been like, I don't think that is the real way because it's so weird how— The talisman wasn't spinning? Yeah, it wasn't. It really wasn't. <laughs> Shout you know? out Inception. Because, like, when Betsy comes at the end, she she goes back into his taxi, 
And I'm just like, that makes no sense to me. Like, she was so scared of this character. And- I think, though, he, because going back to that love story, he redeemed himself and he proved his worth as the dumpy and her as the dumper got reattracted to him. But that's why it's a fantasy to me. It's not real. This is happening in his head somewhere. Like, I think he died or it's he's in a coma. It's up to you to interpret but that's what, what it is. That's what I think it is. It has to be that because I don't think it makes sense if it's real and she comes back What did back Scorsese just tell you? He said it was real, right? Is I, he doing that to fuck with you? I think so. Just you. He knows I'm a smart boy. He knows you're a clever girl. <laughs> clever girl. As he's, as he's wearing as he's wearing his a crew neck dinosaur sweatshirt. Stop it! Everybody loves it. It's Jimboree, isn't it? <laughs> but no, like even that, like the juxtaposition of all that violence, and then it's just this hero's POV, his whole mindset at the end. It's like he feels that he is the hero, and we're just left in an experience of like, God, what did I just see? What did I feel? You know? Because I don't know who to root for now. Then. I'll still root for Travis. <laughs> I'm a sick fuck. <laughs> I feel like I enjoyed this viewing the most of all the other times that I've seen it. I've enjoyed this one the most because I analyzed it in a way that I haven't done so before. I was mentally mature enough to understand that. But yeah, these violence, these are fucking movies that yeah. we were actually not really supposed to fucking watch, man. <laughs> oh no, like I tell you all, like that's why we're doing this show. I'm pretty sure you guys, our listeners, have movies like this. You're like, why... How did I see this? How was I allowed to see this? You know, because, well, back then, too, our mindset is like, I admired the violence, you know, or I was in awe of it because I've never seen anything like that, you know? So it was just, wow, what is this? But, you know, growing up, like, I, I love doing this, how we did it with Clockwork Orange. We we see a little bit of, or I hope we see that we're maturing, you know, because not that I appreciate what he's doing or I glorify it as well. It's just I understand it. You know, but even understanding something doesn't make it right, you know, but at least now being older, you kind of understand it where somebody could go the pathway. We've all felt lonely, right? We all felt that we're alone in this world. Nobody gets it. When we try, it doesn't work, you know, but that's a mindset that you have to get out of, you know, but where Travis does is no, he, he stays on it. You know, that's why he keeps his job at night because he wants to mole in those. He wants to mole alone at night, you know, so it's like, you're mulling alone with your own ideas. You're funneling your own ideas. You're only going to keep getting sadness. You're only keep getting angsty. And, you know, you're only going to be more against society and hate people. I love that. And that's a new podcast series launching next week. Mal the Shrink. <laughs> He's going to analyze a specific scene in every movie. And we're going to see uh, his interpretation. All right. I love it. I love it. Tell us if you want that. All right, cool. And that's going to conclude today's episode of Movies We Were Way Too Young to See. We hope you had a blast listening. We had a blast recording. Questions, comments, or anything like that, feel free to email us at malvinmogley at gmail.com. If you got some movies that you want us to reboot or movies we were way too young to see, go ahead and drop them there too. Yeah, let us know, man. Subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. If you listen on Apple, please rate us five stars. It'll help us out tremendously. One more thing, follow us on social media, will you? At malv underscore n underscore mogley. Come for the memes, stay for the podcast. <laughs>